Today, I talked to a financial coach and award-winning blogger who went from being totally broke to being able to give away a million dollars and pay off his mortgage in three years. Yes, talk about transformation. So if you're anywhere between broke and giving away a million dollars, I think you'd like this episode. So have a listen. Like, it's not because we're so smart. It's not because we did, you know, it's like God is the one who gets the glory on that. Like the, the mere fact that we are able to give away a million dollars, the mere fact we were able to pay off our house in three years, like those remarkable things, it's like they were all attached to something that God did. And we had a part to play. And I'm thankful that we took the steps to do our part because I don't know what would have happened had we not. But we did our part, but God did his and his was so much bigger. So, I mean, I would say our faith is absolutely critical to any level of success that we've had financially. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today, we have an amazing guest. We have Bob Lottich. Thank you so much for being with us, Bob. Please tell us who you are and what you're about. Yeah, I mean, I basically started a blog like in 2007, kind of about money and um, finances and the intersection of faith and like all of this stuff. I had worked in the financial services industry before that and kind of did that and began transitioning full time. And so since then, my wife and I have been educating people, helping them with their money and do uh, fewer dumb things with it and helping people do smarter things with it. And so we just had a lot of fun. So probably the last 15 years or so, that's what we've been doing via our blog, podcast, courses, book, you name it. Yeah, that's amazing. I was reading your bio and I said, this is so interesting, but I'll let you tell us how this all began, because I think your story is a story that a lot of our listeners will really relate to. This for me was the day before my 21st birthday, the day I will never forget in my life, I promise forever. So the day before my 21st birthday, I'm living in a Florida town, kind of on a sabbatical, extended sabbatical thing, about a thousand miles from home. And at this point... I am driving, you know, down the road. It's Friday. I just picked up my paycheck. I'm ready to go to the bank so I can cash it so I can go pay my landlord um, because the rent's due that day. And as I'm driving, my car just all of a sudden stops in the middle of the road. I didn't know that much about cars. And I just kept turning the key and it's like nothing's working. All right, there's a problem here. And there was a baseball game, a minor league baseball game actually was about to start. So there's so many cars driving by and everybody's looking out their windows, staring at me, doing the thing people do. As I'm sitting there, like... I start realizing that, oh man, I'm in big trouble here because it's not just the car that's not working, but I have this check in my hand that I need to get to the bank and get cash and then get that over my landlord. And I'm like, how am I going to get this car towed somewhere fixed and then get over to the bank and then get to the landlord and do that all in the next two and a half hours or something like that? I'm like, I'm in big trouble. And if I didn't get that check to my landlord or get that payment to my landlord by the end of the day, she was going to tack on a $50 late fee. And again, it's like, this isn't a big deal for a lot of people. But at that point in my life, this was a huge deal because I didn't have the extra $50. My paycheck was just enough to cover my rent, which is a whole nother problem that we don't even need to get into. But it was a big deal if all this didn't work out. And I, as I was realizing like all of this was coming to a head, and the truth of the matter is that I had been believing and had thought that I was really good with money. And the truth was I wasn't. And this was what I had to show for it. And so I remember sitting in that car, like as everybody's driving by steering, like grabbing the steering wheel and crying out to God and saying like, I need help. Like if you have a better plan, a better path for how to do this and manage money, like I want to hear it. I need it. I need a new direction to go. So that was kind of when everything kicked off for me. A lot of people have been there and a lot of people have 
thought they were good with money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a great yep. conversation. You're going to bring a great perspective to this. How do you go from being that about to be 21 year old yep. to being someone who clears 400,000 in debt and is able to give away a million dollars by the age of 40? Yep. Like definitely a lot must have happened in between that time. So yeah, yeah. no, for sure. You know, and so a couple different things. I got to give credit where credit's due. Like God helped us do that. You know, this wasn't something that I did on my own, you know. Uh, but within that, I think we all have a responsibility. We have a part to play in that equation. So for us, it just began like the humility aspect of me admitting that I didn't know everything about money and that maybe I have something to learn here. Just that that thought, that openness to learn was like the biggest mindset shift for me. That was the thing that set everything in motion was this willingness to say, yeah, maybe I should pick up some books about this topic that I thought I knew a bunch, but maybe I don't know as much as I think. So anyway, so that's where it began. I just began reading everything, get my hands on. At the time, it was books and magazines. YouTube wasn't around yet, you know. And so it was mostly that. I went through a couple courses, but really just trying to absorb as much as I can. And I was fascinated that the Bible even talked about money and had some relevant information for today. And so the combination of all these pieces together and just continuing to make incremental progress, like our financial situation didn't change overnight. You know, in fact, it was about just a couple years later, my wife and I got married and I had made plenty of progress in my financial journey, but still had a good amount of debt. She had a ton of debt. So we get married together and now we got a bigger pile of debt, you know, but we just kept working on it. And uh, and it's just, I don't know, it's just amazing that a lot of times it goes faster than you think when you just continue to learn and continue to improve, you know? I think that's very important for people to know because, you know, everybody wants that magic something that's going <laughs> to just ultimately yep. change everything and that magic something doesn't exist yeah so, so true yeah, yeah. <laughs> step by step well bob our audience is early entrepreneurs so you know in the area of finances you know my entrepreneurial journey was not not a path that i recommend you know so what i did i was working at a financial services firm a couple years after we had gotten married and we had a good amount of debt at that point I don't know the exact amount. I would say twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars or something. We were living in uh, an apartment at that point, and uh, I got a pink slip from my job, my employer. You know, getting laid off about six months heads-up notice, which was nice and helpful. And so during that time, when transitioning out of that, and once I realized, wait, I'm going to go become an entrepreneur. I'm going to go become a full-time blogger out of this. Once that happened, I realized, all right, we need to really get focused on paying off this debt, you know, because if we could eliminate that debt, that would mean that we are a lot of our debt. If we eliminate it, that would mean we'd be able to survive on less in which as an early entrepreneur, when you're trying to transition into that full-time stage, like you have to be thinking about that. What is the minimum I can survive on and how can I do that? Because even if, you know, you have a business where you're generating more on the side than you are your day job. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be like that. It doesn't mean that six months later, you might not hit a downturn. And so you don't want to just be at the level of whatever your current day job situation is or whatever your ideal is. Like you want to be able to go beyond. And so anything that you can do to lower your standard of living and just reduce it and temporarily until you really get the business up and running. But if you can temporarily do that, it just provides a bigger buffer and it just makes it a little bit of a safer transition to move into that full-time status, which I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are interested in moving in that direction. I don't think a lot of people become entrepreneurs just to always be part-time, you know? 
And it's fine if you do. But I think a lot of people want that full-time thing. Uh, so I think that that's something that I think, it just really helped us a lot. And it's something I'm always recommending to people because I've seen people who have built something up on the side and it's got momentum and they're like, great, I got momentum. I'm going to go quit my job. And then the momentum stops or it goes backwards. <laughs> and then we've got to run back to your boss and say, hey, uh, can I come back? <laughs> so I think that's really powerful and helpful. Um, in terms of actually paying off the debt, you know, the beautiful thing about it is just by the mere fact of you having a side hustle or starting some entrepreneurial journey on the side, like that's freeing up extra cash. Now you have two sources of income, assuming you have another job that it's just more money to put towards your debt. So it's really one of the best things to do if you want to pay off debt. Like, I don't know of a better way because you can only reduce your expenses by so much in which, yes, like do what you can to cut back. But when you can work at it and actually earn extra money, that's just more money to put towards that debt to eliminate that faster, to decrease your standard of living. So it all is working together to help you go where you want to go, you know? Now, what would you say to someone who's thinking, okay, I want to start my business and I currently don't have the capital, but I feel like if I don't take advantage of this opportunity, let me get a loan or seek some kind of funding. What's been your experience with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm probably not the best person to talk to about raising capital for business because I've never done it. Our entire time, we've been debt-free. Like We started bootstrapped. I never borrowed any money for the business. And I think that's ideal. <laughs> you know, If you can be in a business like that, that's great. Now, obviously, I know there are certain businesses where it's not really an option. I have a friend who runs an apparel line and has had to you know, seek investors and stuff like that to raise capital. And so there are certain businesses where that absolutely is necessary. But the thing that I would recommend, that I can recommend, is don't wait around until someone else gives you money to get started. There are plenty of things that any business can do to get started, okay? So even if I had an apparel line, like, or I was going to start an apparel line and I was waiting or I wanted, I knew I was going to have to raise money in order to get it off the ground, like, I would be starting an Instagram and TikTok account, um, not TikTok, TikTok, <laughs> You know, I would be starting accounts on each of them, maybe posting clothes that I like or something like that, like just starting to build an audience. Like anyone can start building an audience of people who might be interested in the thing you're going to sell for free. And so that is, if you're listening and you're sitting around waiting on the sidelines, waiting for someone to come give you money to start your business, don't. Like start doing something now in preparation for when you get to that point. You know, and who knows, you might even the way you start building that and you build a platform on Instagram or TikTok or something like you might end up, it might shifting like, and you might not even need to borrow money at some point, you know, so just do something. Don't wait around for money to come to you. I would say just run and start building an audience. Cause you're an award-winning blogger. And I think people missed over that. He's an award-winning blogger people. So let <laughs> me ask him about this. <laughs> okay, Bob, how important is it to have an audience? Cause I like that you landed on that. Okay. Start creating your audience and get people who might be interested in what you may later have to sell. Yeah. No, I, I think it's I think it's everything. Like and I think especially in the twenty first century new era where trust is so hard to come by, you know, and it's few and far between. Like it's really hard to earn someone's trust because so many of us don't trust we don't trust the government. We don't trust corporations. We don't trust the other political party. Like we don't everyone doesn't trust so many people that it's when you can earn someone's trust, it's really, really valuable. And so this is the power of an audience of people who know, like, and trust you already. And then you roll out a product and they're like, well, I already know you. I already like you. I already trust you. It's like you have such a heads up, such a leg up in your ability to be able to sell a product to them. And I've been paying attention to us. So we sell 
financial courses, helping people budget, helping people start investing, things like that. That's basically how we make most of our money is the products we sell. And what's been really interesting, what I've observed is most of the people who buy from us, I've had some sort of conversation with. So maybe not in person, but via email, like they've asked me a question and I've responded to them or on social, they've been following us and we responded in the comments, but like those little touch points, like if I trace back and I don't have the hard numbers on this, but like just anecdotally, when I look at it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure most of these I've had some sort of interaction with them. And so for me, it's just like, this is proof positive that I want to focus on nurturing our audience, that that's the most valuable thing I can do. So true. I was thinking about it the other day because I was listening to people talking about cold calling and reaching out to prospects. And then I thought to myself, when was the last time I actually bought something from someone who randomly sent me an email or tried to call me? I think the moment someone calls me, and especially now where scammers are just on, you know, at an all time high, the moment someone calls you and you don't know their number and they try to talk to you about something, you're already like, you know, no, this, you know, I can't trust this. Absolutely. And maybe they are really just trying to sell you something, but because of the level of scams and that kind of thing that's going on, I feel like every person you've made a decision to buy just from following the Instagram content or the LinkedIn content, and then you feel, okay, it's safe to do business with this person. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And it's it's such a big opportunity that we have because if you're cold calling, and it's like, yeah, and there's some people who are great salesmen who can do this, but it just requires so much more work. You know what I mean? So it has to be like a perfectly crafted pitch to even get a 10% response, like versus, you know, you and somebody who's following you on Instagram, like, and who's been following you for a few months, like they know you already. And so you can just say, Hey, I got this thing. Are you interested? And it's like, you don't have to spend eight hours like crafting this perfect pitch to them. It's like, here's what's in it for you. This is who it's made for. It's like, because they, you already have such a leg up and uh, yeah, there's just so much advantage there to just having a connected audience of people who trust you. As you began, started out as an entrepreneur, this is your first time. But things like the confidence to charge what you think you're worth, things oh, yeah. like can you sustain yourself with actually earning the money directly yourself and not as an employee? How did yeah. you work on your money mindset? Because I think that's a big one. Oh, it's huge. Huge. Yeah. And I I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. So when I first got laid off from my corporate job and I became a full-time blogger, uh, what happened was a few months into that or a few weeks into that, actually, a friend of mine who I'd done some work for kind of freelancing on the side a little bit offered me a job. And anyway, so he explained, he kind of gave me the pitch. He's like, hey, I'd love for you to come work with me. So he offers me his job and he said, how much do you think, um, what would you want to earn for this? And I threw out a price that was, and I think at the time it was like $25 an hour or something like that. I said, I think $25 an hour. I had just gotten laid off from a job making like $18 an hour or something. So I'm like, this is a huge raise. Like, I'm so excited if I get $25 an hour. And he responded, like the way he responded, he's like, I can't tell if you're joking or not. Like he thought that that was too low of a price. And I remember like that just taught me something like instantly my mindset shifted of just because you were in this corporate environment and they said that you are worth this doesn't mean that that's what you are worth. And like you have to understand that different environments value you and your skill set so drastically different. I just saw this um, thing on the the news the other day. It showed uh, this picture of this violinist like a world-renowned violinist playing down in a subway playing a 2.5 million dollar violin um 
And it just shows this video of everyone walking by. And they said like the day before he was playing at whatever, I don't know, some huge venue and it was completely sold out. And anyway, it just illustrates the point that what you are worth, like you have to be careful of how you're determining that because you can go in this group and only be worth this, but over here you're worth this and it can be completely different. And so that's like the first, I think, lesson that I got in all of this. It was super helpful for me to realize that just because this corporate world said I'm only worth whatever, $16 an hour, I'm actually worth way more, the value that I have to add. You know what I mean? And I like that story too, because it really speaks to understanding where you're of the highest value and to whom you're of the highest yep. value. Yep. And not just kind of trying to sell to everyone, because some people, they just won't get it. And yep. you'll waste your own time. I know that you usually work with your wife. Yeah. When I saw this, I said, oh, a lot of people are going to really, really identify with this. So you said... Dealing with money as a contentious issue when you have a partner or you are a partner who spends too much, yep. <laughs> how you got past that or how you work through that with your partner without trying to kill each other in the process. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and we definitely had that because, I mean, I'm a certified educator in personal finance and I love to say that she's our certified spender of all of our money. And so we definitely have that kind of dynamic. And um, I think when we first got married, we like so many couples came from different backgrounds, had different pasts, you know, so we had to figure some of this stuff out. And I think the thing that helped both of us, I was the one who needed to do more work on this. Like I needed to humble myself because I'm the numbers guy. And it was easy for me to kind of build out the budget and just say that this is math. It's black and white. My way's right. So just get on board. You know, I had to humble myself and just admit that she has some value to add to this equation even if it's not necessarily in terms of the numbers on the sheet, there's a reason that we're together in this marriage. And if I lean into her giftings, which, you know, are different than mine, you know, so mine is the numbers side of it, but hers is enjoying life and understanding that money can and should be spent for things to enjoy at sometimes, you know, not always, but in some cases. And and since I leaned the other direction, maybe towards saving too much for the future, my wife, Linda, has just brought so much balance to me. Uh, and so by me humbling myself in that area and kind of leaning into her a little bit more, adjusting our budget in ways that maybe I felt like were wrong, you know, but to do it for the sake of the marriage and for the sake of leaning into her desires a little bit more, it ultimately she did the same, you know, and so we reciprocated. And so we just found a sweet balance point by doing that. Do you know what I mean? I, I do definitely identify with that way. It's like one of you can be so on the far extreme and the other one can be so on the other far extreme, but you do need that little bit of like yeah. an enjoyment as well as, you know, saving and, and having an investment. So thank you for yeah. sharing, yeah, how you guys worked through that. What is the best money advice that you ever got? One of the most impactful things for me was actually reading a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, the concept that jumped out of that book to me that I've never let go of is where he talks about buying assets rather than liabilities. So an asset is anything that adds money to your pocket and a liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. And so what that did for me is it forced me to reevaluate every dollar that I spend. And so when I go buy dinner, okay, so this is money that's taking out of my pocket. So I'm fulfilling a need. We all need food. So I'm not saying don't do that, obviously, but... So I buy food, it has no value, it adds no more money to my pocket afterwards, okay? So if I go buy a shirt or I go buy a notebook or something like that, like it adds no money to my pocket. Now, on the other hand, if I decide to go buy 
you know, a piece of real estate, or I decide to go buy a stock or invest in whatever a piece of crypto or something like, you know, and this doesn't fall perfectly in his definition of an asset. But the point is, I'm putting money in something that's holding or maintaining value, rather than something that's going to diminish and go down in value. And so what I've sought to do ever since I kind of learned that concept is just think about everything I'm buying through that lens. And so it's okay that we buy things that go down in value because we all have to. But to the degree that we can increase the things that don't go down in value or don't go down in value as fast and put money into them, it ultimately just becomes a snowball that builds for us and just really helps us grow our wealth. You know what I mean? Since you talked about cryptocurrency, what do you think about investing cryptocurrency at this point? I mean, I have a lot of thoughts here, (laughs) but (laughs) summing it up. I think the best illustration for it that I've found that's been so helpful is I was around, I remember I was in college during the peak of the dot-com boom in the 90s. And I, I remember like being in college and watching all my roommates run out and just, they knew nothing about stocks, knew nothing really about business. And they're just running out buying every stock they could in dot-com space. And we're just making money, like hand over fist. And whenever you see that, you see all kinds of people just getting rich really, really quickly who have no experience. It's like a bubble is being built, you know? And then I watched the whole bubble, the dot-com bubble burst. And I watched what happened during that. And, you know, how so many of those companies just ended up disappearing because they weren't actually good companies. It was just the hype of the internet that pumped them up. Now, the internet was a real thing that was going to last. Like we all know, we've seen it now. But at the time, no one really knew you know, it's like we knew there was something here that was super promising. And so that was what caused all this hype with all these dot-com stocks. And anyway, and, it, and what we see now or what we've seen now over the last couple of years is so similar to the mid-late 90s, I think, thing in the crypto space where I think a lot of cryptocurrencies that we see now will not be around five years from now. But my hunch is that we're going to have a handful that do make it. And fundamentally, the technology, the concept, the idea of cryptocurrency and DeFi and blockchain and all this stuff, I think this is going to be around to stay. And so the question becomes, where in crypto should I put my money that is going to be like the Amazon.com or the eBay that's actually going to last and be around in 20 years? Do you know what I mean? And so that's the question of the day that I think needs to be asked. So I have a lot of confidence in crypto in general, but there's a lot of actual cryptocurrencies that I don't have much confidence in over the long term. Does that make sense? That explains it really well. Because there's been a lot of panic uh, yeah. recently about cryptocurrency. And of course, there's a lot of people who strongly believe in cryptocurrency. And then everybody else now just thinks it's a scam. Yeah, but it was, and it was exactly the same way with the internet at the beginning. Like everyone, like there, and there were so many scams on the internet, you know, and there still are, but we all use it. And it's the same way with the crypto space. Like there's tons of scams in crypto. But there's actually also legitimate stuff that's taking place and really groundbreaking technologies that are emerging out of all of this. So it's really exciting, but it's also, you know, and then also you go back to the internet, like the internet was really awkward and hard to use. And everybody's like, I don't even know what to do with it. Like other than just, it's like an encyclopedia or something like there wasn't much clear utility for it. But over the years, as more and more people developed ideas and concepts and they spread like we see all this utility the internet has created for us. And it's going to be the same way, I'm convinced, with the crypto space, where as more time is allowed and more smart minds get into the crypto space developing stuff, 
I think we're going to see all that utility come over the years to come. I think so too. I mean, at some point it was like the internet was for your email. And after you checked your email, there was nothing else to do. I know. What am I going to do with it? (laughs) So that's a really good point. And I do think that the people who will understand how to use this similarly to the internet that you've just talked about will definitely reap that being people who are knowledgeable about it in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, a funny thing, I was just on a call with uh, another guy talking about business and internet marketing strategy and stuff like that. And we were talking about in the early days of when internet marketers kind of began selling stuff on the internet, the conversion rates that they were getting like for their products, like were just through the roof. I mean, he was saying he remembers one guy who said he was getting a 30% conversion rate. 30% of the people that landed on his page were buying. And that's like so insane to think about. But that's what it was, like the opportunity to be at the beginning of the curve. Like there's just unique opportunities that you have. And so that's, I never tell anyone you should buy crypto, but for those who do, there is an opportunity here that, I don't know, that might be missed if you wait 10 years type of thing. Uh, Please tell us a little bit about the premise of your book, Simple Money, Rich Life. Sure. Yeah. Here it is in all this shining glory. So we, uh, we wrote this book based off of a John Wesley quote, famous preacher from the 18th century. And he said, I earn as much money as I can. I reduce my expenses as much as I possibly can. And I do that so that I can give as much as I possibly can. And that's been Linda and my, our motto for a long, long time. And, and so anyway, so we kind of built a book around this framework where we help our readers basically be more efficient with their spending and really like start spending more money on the things you like and less on the things you don't and just kind of automating and just simplifying all of that so that you have more money kind of to uh, at the end of the month. And then we also help them in the next section actually earn more, whether you're a freelancer, entrepreneur, whether you're got a job, you know, a normal day job. In all those contexts, we help you earn more from what you're actually doing. And then we go into really our story of learning to love giving because I hated giving. I used to hate giving and I felt like it was just terrible, just a waste of my time, a waste of my energy to actually give money away. And now it's one of the favorite things that we do. So the book really just kind of outlines our journey along with their super practical steps of kind of going from, you know, where we started at the beginning of this conversation of me just being completely broken down, having nothing, $7 to my name, to reaching what I think is our most significant financial milestone of being able to give away a million dollars at age 40. And so this book is essentially the kind of operating manual that we followed to kind of go down that path. So anybody who is interested in a similar path, I think they'll enjoy this book. Sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bob. Um, My last question is always, what has faith meant to you on your journey? I mean, it's everything. I mean, our faith in God has the remarkable things in this book. Like, it's not because we're so smart. It's not because we did, you know, it's like God is the one who gets the glory on that. Like the the mere fact that we were able to give away a million dollars, the mere fact we were able to pay off our house in three years, like those remarkable things, it's like they were all attached to something that God did. And we had a part to play. And I'm thankful that we took the steps to do our part because I don't know what would have happened had we not. But we did our part, but God did his and his was so much bigger. So, I mean, I would say our faith is absolutely critical to any level of success that we've had financially. Wow, wonderful. Thank you so much, Bob. And to our audience, please go to the three-day money challenge. Bob, can you tell us a little bit about what they're going to find there? Yeah. So the three-day money challenge, threedaymoneychallenge.com, I think is the website. Uh, Basically, I took um, three of the most important concepts out of this book that I think 
pretty much anyone can grab and apply to their life right now that'll help them make tremendous financial progress forward. And so it's a great way to kind of test drive the book and just try that out because I guarantee it'll help you regardless of where you are in your financial journey. And then if you like it, then you can check out the rest of the book. And so it's just a great way to kind of test drive the whole thing. Yeah, that's great. So it's 3daymoneychallenge.com. Thank you so much, Bob. All right. Thank you, Priscilla. Take care. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do me two massive favors. One, please share it with someone that you know would benefit from this information. And secondly, please leave us a review in your podcast listening app. This will help us grow the show and get bigger and bigger guests that will benefit you even more. Thank you so much for that. I absolutely value your time. Thank you for spending time with us listening to the Reinventing Perspectives podcast. Thank you and see you again next week. <music>